So what does your dream Big 12 football conference look like? I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Appreciate y'all joining us, being a part of the show, uh, and hope you're staying safe during these unusual, unprecedented times. And guys, by the way, since you are, you know, staying at home, we're all, for the most part, under a stay-at-home order. That means you have an extra couple of seconds to leave us a rating, review, subscribe to the podcast. If you leave that rating and review, we do have some Heartland College Sports koozies we'll put in the mail for you. So just uh, leave us the rating and review. Send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we will uh, get you that koozie in the mail. So, so we appreciate you guys. Um, we are going to continue, of course, with the show each and every week, even though there's not much going on or nothing going on at the moment. But we're still here for you to give you a sense of normalcy. So we had a little roundtable with the rest of the Heartland College Sports crew. You can read this at heartlandcollegesports.com. And what we did was we put together our dream Big 12 conference. Now, it had to be 12 teams. All right. So that was part of it. Not 14 teams, a 12-team Big 12. And let me go through mine. Some of you are not going to be happy with me, but I hope you at least see my angle of understanding here on what I did. So let's start with the fact that when it comes to college football, I only watch the Big 12. I don't watch the SEC, ACC, Pac-12, but I know nobody watches the Pac-12 or the Big 10. I mean, if there's a huge game on and there's no Big 12 game, I'll check it out. But still... I'm Big 12 through and through since my first radio, first full-time radio job, I should say, uh, in Woodward, Oklahoma, and our friends there at K101 and Z92. So, I mean, I just love this conference. I did not go to school in this conference, but I love this conference. That's one of the good things about going to a place like Villanova. I got a basketball school, and, you know, winter is my basketball season for the Villanova Wildcats. And there's no conflicts there with the Big 12 unless, of course, they're beating KU in the Final Four or Texas Tech in the Elite Eight. Outside of that, no conflicts. But, man, in the fall, Big 12 football starting at 11 a.m. up until 11 p.m. Sign me up each and every Saturday, late August through early December. So here's what my dream conference would look like. And I broke it down into the North and the South Division. In the North, I have Nebraska, Kansas State, Kansas, Iowa State, Iowa, and Missouri. In the South, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, Arkansas, and Texas Tech. Let me explain first off on the teams in the Big 12 that I left off. Uh, That would be Baylor, TCU, and West Virginia. I love Waco. I love Morgantown. And I love Fort Worth. I genuinely love those places. And the fans are great, and we appreciate you guys. And once again, remember, this is a hypothetical dream 12 team conference it's not going to happen okay it's just if you had to put together what you think would be the best football conference for the long haul what would it look like and this is my list so i left west virginia off for the simple fact that i i I love when college football fans can drive all over the conference we are losing that rapidly um, as conferences expand and maybe i'm old school like that But while Morgantown's an awesome college town, and if I had to have a school in that area in the Big 12, it would be the Mountaineers. They're a good fit in terms of, you know, their style and and what they're about and what they value with the Big 12. 
But you can't drive to Morgantown. You just can't do it. It's an awesome town. You should go there for a game if you haven't. Make a road trip out of it, a long road trip. But it's not like, hey, we're going to Morgantown this weekend for the game. You got to take some time off to make that work. So that's one of the reasons I would leave the Mountaineers off. And then Baylor TCU. I say this as somebody that went to a, a private religious institution, myself, as I just mentioned, Villanova. But the reality is this, from a financial standpoint and a TV rating standpoint, typically those schools do not bring as much to the table as do the bigger state schools. That's the main reason for that. I mean, I know TCU's got a machine going there with Patterson, and Baylor, the turnaround it did under Matt Rule was outstanding. I mean, I don't know who else in the country could have done what Matt Rule just did right there the last couple of years. I don't know who else could have done it. I love the Dave Aranda hire, and our friends in Waco take good care of us. My buddies Donald Wright and our friends at Sikkim 365 love them. But from a, if you were just to put together a conference and you were just to worry about things like uh, TV ratings, who's bringing the most to the table, this is, I believe, what you would do. So please accept my apologies, WVU, Baylor, and TCU. And once again, this is not happening. It's just a scenario because, hey, there ain't much going on right now. So how do I get to the teams that I put in there? Uh, I brought Nebraska back to the Big 12 because uh, they've been irrelevant since they left. They should have never left. I talked about this a little bit during last week's show. Uh, put them back in the mix. That would be really good for the Big 12. Bring back some of the rivalries, you know, not just in the North, but also like OU Nebraska, one of the great rivalries uh, from college football that no longer exists. I put Missouri back in the Big 12. Now, I think that's partially because, not just from a football perspective, but Missouri's in no man's land in the SEC. Uh, Mizzou fans will tell you, oh, we're the SEC. You're irrelevant, all right? You're irrelevant in football. You're irrelevant in basketball. You have nothing in common, for the most part, with those schools. Your fan base has to, you know, get on a plane to go anywhere, for the most part, to watch a road game. Uh, Mizzou fans would never admit it, but they miss the Big 12. They miss Kansas City for the Big 12 basketball tournament. Uh, they miss the border war. I mean, come on. You got to be kidding me. Missouri should be back in the Big 12. And then I took Iowa out of the Big 10 and put them in the Big 12 North because if you had Iowa, Iowa State every year, which you have every year, but if you had it as a conference game, throw in Iowa and Nebraska, who are right now both, of course, in the Big 10 West. Uh, you know, Iowa with the entire Big 12 North, would be a lot of fun from a football and basketball perspective. Iowa, Kansas State, I mean, you know, you have great possibilities there. Even Iowa, Texas, I mean, that's awesome in, you know, cross-divisional matchups. Iowa, Oklahoma, that's, that's really cool. That would be great for the Big 12 to have Iowa in. So, once again, is any of this happening? No. This is hypothetical dream-type scenario stuff. In the Big 12 South, just to reiterate the teams I have in there, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, Arkansas, and Texas Tech. Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech. Teams in the Big 12 right now, not going anywhere. I'm bringing A&M back. Now, I think A&M is full of tools. I don't like anything about the program, the fan base. I mean, they have the biggest chip on their shoulder. It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. I don't like Texas A&M, but it would be good for the Big 12 to have them back in the mix and bring back Texas versus Texas A&M, bring back A&M OU. 
Uh, bring them back. I mean, they spend an enormous amount of money. Uh, they have done really well recruiting. It hasn't led to wins, but I think AM brings some juice back to the Big 12 that it's been lacking uh, with those rivalries. I added Arkansas as well, an old Southwest Conference team in the mix. I think that Arkansas of the teams in the uh, SEC West, I thought about LSU, but LSU from a cultural perspective is more of a fit for the SEC than it is for the Big 12. But Arkansas, you can make the argument either way, but I think Arkansas has got a good case to be from a, a cultural perspective just as much Big 12 as it is SEC. And they've got some old Southwest Conference foes, of course, that they would be playing in the Big 12 Conference. And I think that would be good uh, for Arkansas. And I think it'd be good for the Big 12. So that's how I came up with my list. And once again, to bring that list to you in this roundtable we did with the Heartland College Sports crew, totally random, not likely to happen, but a dream 12-team Big 12 Conference I went Nebraska in the north, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, Missouri, Iowa. In the south, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, Arkansas, and Texas Tech. Do I think any of this ever happens? No. That's why it's just stuff that we are doing on the website and we are talking about on the podcast. To get you guys talking, I know I'm going to get the angry emails. I'm okay with the angry emails. But just remember, this is not something I predict to happen. It is just, hey, In a scenario of throw them all up, how could the Big 12 possibly look? I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Appreciate you guys and hope you're staying safe during these uh, quarantine, stay-at-home order times. And that's why we're, you know, trying to give you that sense of normalcy here on the show and give you something to get you through these days and weeks. Um, Speaking of things to get to, Chris Fowler, ESPN, of course, the voice of college football on ESPN. He mentioned a couple of ideas for the sport that are getting some more traction. Yes. In terms of how college football might be played this fall or this year. We'll get to those, analyze them coming up next on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. So what are the other options being put forth for the college football season in 2020? Well, it's a pretty interesting list. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Thanks for joining us and being a part of the show. So here are some options that were put forth by Chris Fowler. Yes, ESPN's Chris Fowler. You hear him. He's the voice, of course, of the big game of the week on ESPN. And Here's what he said on his social media about what he's hearing the three scenarios could be for the 2020 college football season due to the coronavirus. He said the first scenario is the season starts on time and the season is not altered all that much. Says time is running out, though, unless you think four to six weeks is a whole lot of time, because I'm told by the end of May, there has to be clarity. And if you're going to have college campuses open, which you will have to to bring the players back, That's about the deadline to get things going on time. Scenario two, and we'll go through these scenarios. Scenario two from Chris Fowler. The season starts late and maybe gets shortened a bit. Maybe you get going in November and you go through January, have to reshuffle the playoff. 
To me, that sounds problematic. People are worried about a second wave of the virus coming back when the temperatures up north turn colder. You want to start a season, then have to shut it down? To me, that would be disastrous. And then he mentioned the final scenario. He says it's gaining momentum, which may sound preposterous on the surface, but I think a lot of reasonable people feel like it might be the most prudent course of action, and that is football in the spring. He says beginning some point in February, getting into March, April, May, maybe having the postseason in June, Fowler said, that would have to be reshuffled a bit. It would be bizarre. It would wreak havoc on some other sports that time of year. But to avoid the financial disaster of having no football in the academic year, I think it might be a fallback position. The three options there from Chris Fowler. Season's not altered all that much, number one. But you got to know by the end of May what's going to happen there. Scenario two, maybe you go November through January. Scenario three, March, April, May, June. To me, the spring option just doesn't work. You're going to have college football being played in the middle of the NCAA tournament next year? I I don't see how, and I know you got to make the money, right? I understand you got to make the money. But let's be honest. If we get to a situation where college football's got to be played in the spring, and this coronavirus is so bad, so deadly, so disastrous, if that's the case, then something I've been saying for several weeks remains true. College football is the least of our problems. We'd have unemployment rates pushing 25, 30%. Watching a game, I mean, it would be irrelevant. I don't know what I would be doing if, if we're sitting here next spring and things are still that abnormal that we can't simply play a college football game. So I, I, I know that Fowler is saying that this is gaining momentum. But, man, I, I just can't even fathom the idea of possibly going down the road of having to push college football back to March, April, and May, and then have the postseason in June. And as I noted last week, uh, I know that the playoff is played, of course, you know, indoors. But you're going to play bowl games in Florida in June? You really going to do that? Is that really going to be an option that that is feasible, that works? I don't see how. I don't. So I know Fowler says it's gaining momentum, but jeez, I, I don't see how. Now, the first scenario is the season starts on time and the season's not altered that much. Um, he says they would have to decide that by the end of May. To me, and I don't know what the world's going to look like in four to six weeks. None of us do. I mean, I do my daily show in Kansas City, and it's more news-oriented than sports. It is a news show. It's not a sports show. And, uh, you know, we know so much more than we did a month ago, right? We know that this thing impacts people who are older, um, who have preexisting conditions. Obesity, by the way, plays an enormous factor in whether or not you could end up in the hospital with this virus. Just think about what we could know a month from now. Think about where we were a month ago. I mean, in our present situation, uh, days or weeks, weeks or months, months or years. A month ago, we shut down the NCAA tournament. That feels like a lifetime ago. It was almost a month to to the day, depending on, you know, when you're listening to this, almost a month to the day. And that feels like another world. We have learned more. That's good. That means who knows where we are in a month, what this thing looks like in a month, what we know in a month. 
we know we're not going to have a vaccine in a month. That's, you know, a year away from happening. But we've got to get smart. We can't do this hiding in our basements thing forever. It's not feasible and it's not realistic. And the doctors have to realize that. And everybody else involved has to realize that. It doesn't mean you want people dying, okay? Nobody does. This thing has already taken too many lives. But the hiding in your house is not a long-term solution. It's not. And I know a lot of us realize that, but man, we cannot reiterate it enough. We can't. And then uh, there's, so that option, which is basically figure out in late May whether or not we can do a season, that doesn't seem unrealistic to me, right? Because now I'm an optimist, but I think by the end of May, we're going to have even more information on, you know, what's going to happen. Let's say you plan for a regular season and you say, well, we don't know if the fans are going to be there or not or how we're going to do the fans and the seats type of thing. Maybe you do every other seat, whatever it might be. But that's better because then you get the TV money and you may not get as much when you talk about ticket sales, beer sales, food sales. But that seems like a better option if you have to do that. If you have to do that, that seems like a better option than, you know, going the route of uh, going to March. Right. Option two: start the season late, maybe November, go through January, reshuffle the playoff. Uh, but people are worried about a second wave of the virus coming back when temperatures turn colder up north. I don't think you can plan like that. You can't plan for what you think the virus might do unless you've got solid data to back it up. Right. Unless you've got solid data to back it up. You can't plan on that. You can't say to yourself, hey, the virus might come back in uh, the winter, so we're just going to basically put everything on hold. It's the same thing. We've got to get smart on how to go about living life and running businesses while limiting, limiting the health impact. That's got to be the conversation, whether it's your, your local municipality, whether it's your state and your governor, or whether it's the federal government. Or if it's college football, you've got to figure out with experts of all backgrounds what is best to run the business as much as we possibly can and as normal as we possibly can. That's the question. That's the debate that should be had. So of those three options Chris Fowler gave, I mean, obviously, everybody prefers the first scenario, which is basically uh, try to bring the players back and you know, run a season as close to normal as possible, but you'll have to know by the end of May what you're doing there and what the clarity is behind all that. Okay, let's see. But I hate the idea of playing it next spring because I just don't think it would work. I just don't think it would work. And, you know, you have examples like this. Baylor announces 65 to $80 million in budget cuts due to the coronavirus. Now, remember, Baylor's a private school. They're not getting state money, although a lot of the state schools are going to get hit hard as well here. But a, a private school like Baylor is getting crushed. The donations are not there. The revenues are not there from things like sports and fundraising and you know, all those different things. They've all been affected. So now Baylor's looking at 65 to $80 million in budget cuts, which is an astronomical number. That's for the upcoming fiscal year. And that report came down uh, from their president. Earlier this week, Linda Livingston, uh, she wrote that earlier this week to all of her alumni, and that was released to the public as well. So that's what these colleges are facing. Yeah, the state schools uh, 
might not suffer as bad because they get state money. But even the states, like I'm here in Kansas City, and they're talking about the University of Missouri system having to get budget cuts. Like there's no other way around it, right? If you're funded by the state, but your state's not making any money right now or revenues are in the toilet compared to where they normally are, then guess what? You got to balance your budgets, at least in fiscally responsible states, which Missouri happens to be one. So these are all the conversations that are being had across the country right now about college football, about colleges in general. And I know there's some concern that, you know, when can kids get back to school? When can colleges get back to normal? If the kids are not back in school by the fall, and that goes for college kids, that goes for elementary school kids, boy, there are going to be major repercussions out of that. And that's not to say, you know, if we get to that point and it's the right thing to do and there's overwhelming evidence to prove that point, then fine. But barring that, it would be a disaster, absolute disaster if the kids would not be back in school by then. It would be just chaotic, terrible, and unhealthy for all involved. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Coming up, some final thoughts as Mike Gundy had to apologize for his comments last week. We'll talk about it next. So last week at this time, we told you about uh, Mike Gundy's comments around coronavirus, and now he did apologize for them. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. So last week, uh, Mike Gundy said, basically, I want my players back by May 1st. I want testing. I want to get back to business. And he said, quote, this goes back to the NCAA, the presidents, uh, the conference commissioners, ADs all need to be meeting right now. We got to start coming up with answers. In my opinion, if we must bring our players back, test them. They're in good shape. They're kids, you know, 18, 22 years old, healthy. A lot of them could fight it off with their natural body, their antibodies, and build up. um, They have, and they would be asymptomatic. If that's true, then we sequester them. If people say that's crazy, no, it's not crazy, because we need to continue to budget and run money through the state of Oklahoma. Gundy got a huge amount of pushback for that. I thought it was overstated pushback. I understand it looked bad, but I thought it was overstated pushback. So Gundy apologized here in the last several days saying, quote, he apologized actually it was uh, last Saturday, the night before Easter. So it was really under the radar. Um, Gundy said, I have been made aware that the comments from my press conference have offended some (laughs) as if he didn't know, right? I've been made aware that my comments uh, may have offended some. It was never my intention to offend anyone, and I apologize. My first priority is and will always be the student-athletes and doing what is best for the program and the university. University chimed in saying, quote, we'll adhere to the advice of public health experts who are making informed decisions in the best interest of the citizens of our nation and state based on sound scientific data. We will also abide by the federal and state mandates as well as Big 12 guidelines. We will not compromise the health and well-being of our campus community. The virus is deadly, and we will do our part at Oklahoma State to help blunt the spread. So that's the university doing a little CYA, as we call it. CYA, look up the acronym, cover your butt. Just replace butt with something else. So Gundy ended up apologizing for that and, uh, you know, kind of apologizing, saying basically 
sorry if you were offended, which is classic Mike Gundy. And frankly, what he should have done. You know, was it the best thing to say? No, no, it wasn't. I'm not going to defend that it was. It wasn't. But, I mean, the people who were outraged by, hey, he didn't say, let's make sure we all go back, start hugging and kissing. He's like, we got to go back, and I want to get him tested and get back to work. Well, I, I mean, once again, if you have been paying attention to the news, you know the testing issue is uh, not an easy one. I mean, there are not enough tests. That's part of the problem that we have. So the idea that Oklahoma State football players, as important as they are, we're going to be, you know, getting preferential treatment on testing, probably not the case. And that's what made the comment a little out of touch, if nothing else. All right, so uh, a couple other news and notes. A sophomore guard at KU, Devin Dotson, going to the NBA draft, skipping his last two years of eligibility. And this is not like last year when he teased he's going to test the waters. Uh, he's hired the agent. He is going to the draft. He is gone. And I just keep thinking back to what could have been, you know, between Azubuke and Dotson and the team was ranked number one in the country, probably would have been the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament unless they had a disastrous Big 12 tournament. I would have loved to have seen what this team could have done. I would have loved to have seen how far this team would have gone uh, because if they did not get to a Final Four, it would have been once again, Bill Self underachieved. Bill Self can't get us championships anymore. Uh, that would have been, at least from a faction of the fan base, that would have been a part of the conversation. No doubt in my mind. But with kind of how weak this conference was, uh, from the standpoint of there was a great top two in KU Baylor and then a big drop-off in the Big 12, and the whole country was like that, right? There was a really good, solid top handful I want to say three to six. And then it was a mishmash of people from like six to 40 in college basketball. This would have been the kind of year where if KU was going to make that run with guys like Dotson and Azabique, this would have been the time to do it. And they never, unfortunately for them, never got the opportunity. But Devin Dotson heading off to the NBA draft, and that should not be shocking to uh, anybody involved with the Kansas Jayhawks, any fans of the Kansas Jayhawks. So it's tough times all around. Well, that'll do it for us with another show here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. I'm Pete Mundo. Appreciate you all uh, joining us, being a part of the show, and please do continue to stay safe, and hopefully this will all be a bad memory sooner rather than later. Be well. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. And also, if you could, leave us that rating, review, subscribe, and we'll get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail if you do that. We will do it for you. So uh, please take a moment out. Just send me a screenshot of your rating and review, and we'll get the koozie in the mail. Thanks, guys. Have a great, uh, great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.